Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Forrester and Pennsylvania hunter Kenny Kane. So Kenny and myself spent the day shooting videos, explaining different types of timber cuts and how they're beneficial for deer hunters. And then we capped it off with a podcast. So we discussed private lands open to public hunting, hunting leases, restoration forestry, beech trees, favorite browse species for deer, herbicide spraying of logging cuts, how to hunt different ages of cuts, and then we go through some listener questions about top food sources for deer in the big woods, gypsy moss, and much more. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, 
You're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. I do not have a Mountain Buck Monday story this week. And the reason is, as this episode comes out live, I'm on vacation and I won't be able to post any, uh, I won't be able to post any the, the pictures and everything else on social media. So taking a break from it this week. And there'll probably be a break during September on that as well. Unfortunately, just with me being out elk hunting, I don't know if I can, uh, if I'll have service on any of those days to be able to get that stuff out. But uh, nonetheless, Mountain Buck Monday is not going away. It'll just uh, be intermittent here for the next month or so. But uh, anyways, so as I mentioned here in the intro, uh, Kenny and I spent a whole day out looking at some some private timber company pieces of land that he's managed over the last eight or 10 years and explaining the different types and ages of the cuts, all of this stuff. So that'll be up on YouTube. My plan is to release it right around the time this podcast comes out within a couple of days, depending on how much I'm recording this ahead of time. So depending on how much time I get to finish the editing, it might be a little bit longer. But nonetheless, just head over to my YouTube channel, which is under my name, Bo Martonic, and then you can uh, subscribe, hit that little notification button so you know when the new episodes come out. But this is going to be a really good informational uh, video when that comes out. And then this podcast is separate, kind of breaking down some of the things we've seen. And uh, and then also just talking about some things that, that listeners had questions for Kenny. He's been... Uh, Kenny I've known for a long time and uh, since high school or college I think we met and he's been since we've kind of reconnected over the last year or so just such a wealth of knowledge and and I've learned so much about tree species and 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 how deer interact with it and was a huge help at the mountain buck scouting camp people learned a lot from Kenny so I'm excited to get him back on the podcast and if you like the videos in these podcasts with Kenny let me know Uh, I'd love to do more with him and we have some more plans so Hopefully that uh, that works out for for you and you like the like the content. So if you do, as always, please give the the video or the podcast, excuse me, a five star rating and review wherever you listen to it. Helps out so much. Share it with your friends. But uh, anyways, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week, and we will see you next week. All right. Kenny Kane, welcome back, brother. Bo Martonic, great to be back, buddy. Yeah, um, I'm excited to. Uh, Get to talk to you. We're uh, we just spent all day. Uh, well, I guess all afternoon. Not all afternoon. That was exaggerating yeah. quite a bit, but uh, doing some videos, running around in the woods, checking out. You know, having you explain some stuff and uh, with logging cuts and everything. But I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But we earned having 
we we didn't have any uh, big trucks left. You got the shirt yeah, on. I got but, the shirt on. Still loving this shirt from the uh, scouting camp. But anybody that is upset that we're drinking White Claw Surf Tropical Pomelo Smash, I'm perfect you, on a hot day like yeah, this. That's what I'm saying. Perfect. It's. I think it said 87 degrees. Yeah, it was it was hot. And I yeah, I definitely feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're we're just kind of refreshing a little bit here and um and after do, shooting some videos and it was it was cool today. It was cool to get to um shoot some videos and kind of explaining from the forestry perspective how deer hunters can relate to it and I mean, I just, I learn a lot whenever I get to go out in the woods with you. Well, not too m- many people get to learn a lot with me, but <laughs> I'm glad I can help someone out. Yeah. <laughs> so, and anybody that's listening to this, we were supposed to record this episode actually at the Total Archery Challenge, but... Um, it, business was booming. We, Michael and I were just selling shirts left and right. We didn't have a break to get it done. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot more 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 important people there than me to do a podcast with. So it was worth it. No, I wouldn't say that. I think it was like, okay, Kenny, we live close to each other. We can get together at any time. I was like, let's couple it up. Let's use it as an excuse. Yes, to get out. I mean, this is work for you. Yes, so. I'm working. You're working. I'm working. Exactly. So we're both working right now. I know. And it. it's as we're recording this, it's coming into the Fourth of July weekend here, yes. end of June. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, it still would be this weekend. Yeah, it would be. So we're, yeah, we put in a good day. We did. I mean, things were great. Weather was beautiful. Got to see a lot of different things. Got to see the guys logging. I wish they were, you know, out with the felling machine cutting because that, you know, who doesn't like big equipment? It's just kind of fun. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but that guy, he's, he's nuts and he works from like midnight to noon and then leaves. Really? Yeah. Does he work? He's he's a night shift guy. He doesn't like dealing with people. He's left alone. He, you know, and those new Timber Pro fellers, they're lit up with lights. It's like daylight at dark. Really? So he, and he can operate, you know, safer because there's not other folks around. He knows he's left alone. And I'm like, hey, I, I can respect that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. And, and we, um, so kind of the idea of it was to go to uh, a piece of private timber company property that mm-hmm. you manage. Yep. So you know you know that land like the back of your hand. Yes. And so we could go through, and it's also um, an area that I've spent time in, that I've hunted and everything else in, in the past. So like I had like my perspective on like what I saw it as before yep. um before this is you know started getting really managed here in the last what three years uh re- eight years now has it been eight years eight okay. years yes and it kind of you know on the local standpoint this property is a fairly you know several thousand acre chunk of land and it's always been open to public hunting so it's been a big riff as they leased a good chunk of it like hey these folks bought it for an investment you know Taxes are expensive. Uh, you got to do something to offset your costs. But anyone that you know can hunt around here is there's still a lot of public land on the outskirts that share common boundary lines. But the quality of the hunting since they took over ownership has increased exponentially because the quality of the habitat. Yeah. So there's there's pros and cons to everything. So you know finding the pros in it is the habitat is so much better. The cons of it is, yeah, not all of it is, you know, open to public, but 
there's a lot of lease members and realistically it's fairly affordable to do yeah and then there's and there's private ground that that is all like mixed mixed in with this area that is open to public yes, hunting a lot and around and and like that anywhere as things become leased up and i, I don't think that trend's going away no it's not and it's i not. think it's, it's i mean it's, taxes are expensive yeah like I mean, you can't blame the landowners no for for that I, I mean i don't at all and and i i think like you know even with you know, with me having the podcast and talking a lot about hunting, either public ground or even private lands open to hunting, there are places, you know, Pennsylvania, like states like, you get into states like Ohio and some of like the really big buck states, mm-hmm. leases are pretty expensive. But yes. you can get some affordable ones right. in Pennsylvania and other ones. You might share them with a lot of other people. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be better hunting, but you there there are opportunities to be able to do that right. for you know reasonable prices some down as low as a couple hundred bucks up to yep. you know up to a thousand dollars basically probably right. at the higher level for pennsylvania but and and that's access to you know thousands of acres yep basically and yeah again you share it with a lot of people but it's a, it's a uh, it's a, another point and depending on how these leases manage it like they all have their own rules and right. everything some of them add different antler restrictions some of them do you know different things that can that can increase the hunting or or they're doing you know more timber management and stuff that that you can get a little bit better you know experiences yeah you really can and actually like you know i'm dealing with hunting leases daily and i say hunting leases but anymore it's turning into recreational leases there's you know i go through the list of folks that are on the lease for a property i manage and Sometimes you're finding two thirds of them have it just so they can set up a camper and bring their four wheeler and side by side and have a place to legally ride. And they aren't out here hunting. So it's like, wow, you could be someone that may be on a lease with 30 other people on a thousand acres, but only six or eight people are hunting. Yeah. So it's like, ah, oh, there's, there's a pretty good gig. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I think, and at least from what I've seen in like seeing properties that have become leased up and and these things they they have some they, they usually are doing good timber management because they're usually owned by yep owned by these timber investment companies where you know and and they've got a bad rap over the 20 years i mean when i was in school at penn state a decade ago i got told how bad timber investment companies were well maybe there is some bad ones but the ones that i work for they spend more money than any other landowner I've ever seen into, you know, treatments so that they can get successful regeneration, which, yeah, that brings the value to the property in the future if they go to sell it. And, you know, and that's their future asset. But also, you know, they invest into, you know, herbiciding, timber stand improvement, you know, things of that sort where some may look at it, well, all I want is, you know, they look at them and say, they only look at trees. They only look at logs. They only look at dollars. That's not the case at all. So, you know, and that's one of the risks where I, I see it. I'm, I'm kind of a critic of the big public land push. I'm a private land manager and manage, and we talked about this in the last time I was on the podcast, all these private lands that are managed that are open to public hunting. But there's a lot of private lands that are managed phenomenal, have some of, I mean, We've taken folks from, you know, the U.S. Forest Service, the DCNR, the PA Game Commission, you know, public entities to show them what we're doing on private land to manage because 
we can access more tools. We don't have the red tape, you know, like what everyone's going to see in the videos that we put together today was on. This is like new territory of doing this whole tree chipping. Never thought about being done on, uh, anywhere. You know, my father and his, uh, you know, his former business partner, they hated this whole tree chipping thing, but now it's like, Oh, it's a, it's a great tool. Cause it can fix these high graded stands. So explain a little bit what the tree chipping is and what you call, what would you call restoration, restoration, restoration forestry. Okay. So is a term, you know, that, uh, I'll say my father came up with that, you know, the folks in our office came up with is it's like, well, geez, this is a goofy kind of timber management, where it's like, yeah, we're we're trying to restore the forest. We're fixing these high grades. Where, you know, you hear you hear things of folks talking about the, yeah, cut all the big ones so the little ones can grow. That's not the case. It makes sense to me. You know, yeah, it <laughs> makes sense. Cut the big ones so the little ones can grow. But I said this before: is no matter how much we feed you, you're not going to be six foot five. And trees are the same way. I just turned thirty, and I'm working on working on it, slow yeah. and steady. I'm pushing it. You know, I just I just crushed five ten, so like I'm I'm almost at right. Six, five. You're getting there. You're getting there. <laughs> but you know, trees are a lot like that, and you know, there's just genetically superior trees, and you know, formally, there's a lot of these timber companies that went in, and we'd say uh, cut the best and left the rest. You know, didn't get rid of the undesirables, didn't get rid of the poor form trees, the lower quality, the suppressed. So we're going in doing this whole tree chipping and we're removing the undesirable species, the poor formed, you know, the ones that aren't going to grow into a log. So our foresters are going out onto the field, into the field and marking uh, what I'm calling desirable species, you know, cherries, maple, oaks, tulip poplar. I go down the list a mile long. We're marking those trees for, you know, to be harvested. And then we have a prescription written within, you know, done training with the feller operator where all the beech and the birch and the striped maple are being cut. So, you know, saves time for us because boys, you get, you saw some of them today, you could, you know, go for hours and not cover an acre because there's so many trees. Uh, you know, so he goes in, cuts those undesirable trees, and none of these trees being cut will ever be a log. No, they will not be a merchantable saw log. So it's just we're getting rid of the junk. And with that, you know, so they cut the tree, the feller buncher, you know, if no one knows what they are, they can get on YouTube and check them out. And it, this guy sits in a, I'll call it an excavator on steroids, and cuts and bunches the trees and, you know, creates a pile. The grapple skitter comes in, backs up, grabs them, pulls them to a landing, and there is a whole tree chipper, which it is just a monster. Yeah, yes, mean, it is. It takes a whole tree and turns them into, you know, one to two inch square wood chips. You know, so a tree to a chip. And then they get hauled to the paper mill and they're, they're, they're turned into paper. So we take a product that had no value on the stump very very little value to wildlife and now it's turned you know we have a renewable resource being produced into a product and then it's giving us the opportunity to regenerate the forest so that we have a healthy forest for the future and create phenomenal wildlife habitat yeah no and it it makes sense like knowing some of these areas that were basically they'd harvested the timber in a in a non 
not thinking of the future type right. of way. Yep. You know what? Forty years ago, I, over the last forty, twenty to forty years ago, that it started. They owned this for quite some time. Okay, so like, but back, you know, and then before some of this cutting took place, you know, so I was familiar with the, the property, and and I'm sure, and I, this isn't just this you know, just for this specific property, it can go anywhere, but I'll use this as an example. But like, you'd go in there and it'd be so thick. Like the beach brush was ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, the beach trees were, they were tall. It wasn't yep. just brush when you think of brush, right. but we call it that. And you couldn't see through any of it. You yep. couldn't, it's just, but there was no like brows down lower. Right. So it wasn't great for the deer. You couldn't even hunt it because there was no way you could even sit You're in right. there. You couldn't so, see, you couldn't sit. The beach is unhealthy. And I'm sure folks have seen it. And up until recently, and I don't know how, why, or what's causing it, but just in the last like three years, we're seeing beach nuts. Yeah. I, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years now. I've been hunting for 20 years now. I never saw beech nuts and you know, so I'm still looking at myself as a young forester and I go to my dad who's been doing this for 35 years. I said, dad, when's the last time you saw beech nuts like this? He goes, when I was your age, you know, haven't seen beech nuts like this. And there's a lot smarter people out there can tell you how, why, and what's going okay, on. I, was I will refer to them. <laughs> well, and, and it's made it really good as yes. far as the, the deer hunting. So one thing that I'll say for anybody, you know, from the deer hunting perspective with the beech nuts is it's created almost like a mass crop mm -hmm. essentially from the standpoint, especially areas that don't have oaks. Yep. But even even so, even in areas with oaks, they might prefer those acorns first. I don't know if that's true, but I, I believe actually they, beech nuts would be taken up first. Really? Yes. Because I was finding beech nuts in late season the deer were pounding, and I was finding finding sheds in areas uh -huh. that have beech nuts that they were spending a lot of time in, but it could have just been because the beech nut crop was so good right. that it was everywhere. It's almost like when you get like uh, an oak forest that's, you know, primarily oak across the board that you, and you have a really bumper acorn year, you can't focus on right. anything because it's everywhere. Everywhere. Um, but in the past, like, well, and uh, I, I always refer to this story, at least recently, since last year, that the buck that I had shot, I was sitting... Actually, I don't even know if I talked about this much, but I was sitting in this like hemlock stand in this creek bottom, but there was one beech tree there mm -hmm. that was pretty big and it, ha and it was dropping beech nuts and the deer were feeding on that almost as like they'd feed in that newer logging cut at night and then come out, hit that before they go back to bed, you right. know, get that last little right. thing just to yeah. get them through the rest of the yep. day. And that was kind of a focal point uh, for me. So beech, beech nuts. And, and one thing my dad pointed out, when I was in the woods with him not that long ago, is the smaller beech trees that are getting beech nuts too. Yeah, and how and why they they never did this, and and we're seeing some other things which I could go down a rabbit hole talking about beech as we're seeing this. They're calling it beech browns. So you could be you know folks just pay attention as you're out driving and you're like, wow, why why does the understory like the leaves are shriveling up? It's looking like winter time out there in a beech stand, uh, and the suppressed beach are starting to kind of choke off and how, why I don't know is it could be a change, something with the soil, uh, nutrient composition, you know, beaches, you know, you know, in the eighties, there's the beach scale nectar complex, which is that white pubescence you'd see on the beach trees causing them to snap off. You know, it just kills the trees where now 
maybe be, they're becoming resistant to it. So we're finding some healthier trees that withstood the beach scale. And so maybe we're getting some genetically stronger beach trees. That's just my theory. I wouldn't trust any of it, yeah, but it's something that, and there's research being done on the folks that are much smarter than I. I get to notice it on the landscape. Which is and 96% then of the population. Nine, 97. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> but that that's something that we're seeing on the ground that we can report back to, the, you know, our cooperative partners that we do a lot of work with, with the, you know, the for, Forest Service Lab, you know, the folks of the DCNR, the Game Commission, and everyone's looking into this as the how and why, but pretty good problem that we're having with it. Yeah. No. You know, this is new. No. And, and, and. While we're on the topic of beech trees, before we transition a little bit, is beech trees are, they can be a very, they can be a nuisance in a lot of areas. But I will say that I tend to find the majority of primary scrapes either under a beech tree or hemlocks. And this is Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. There's other, and my reason for that is that they keep their leaves on it. So yeah. even in the wintertime when that branch is broken off and it's sticking down as being the licking branch, that those deer can see that from a ways away, you know, even, yeah. and, and it's just like that, that visual thing and it holds scent on there cause it's right. holding the leaves and yep. it's holding that stuff yep. versus any other type of tree that loses yeah. their leaves earlier. Yeah. You know, this will kind of take me back to the scouting camp is I'm like, huh, that spot I hunted last year, the big scrape I found last year beach beach hemlock beach hemlock i'm like oh now that makes sense so you just taught me something you know would take me back to the scouting camp is when we were walking and you and your dad were like oh look at this trail and pointing out rubs and scrapes and i said well yeah no shit guys because this is the first food source we come across and we walk around the ridge and there's a beautiful oak stand yeah (laughs) so it's like ah you know i'm learning just as much yeah, you know. no, it, it, that that was that was good, and we talked about it when I did that podcast with Ryan. We were talking about when we walk through the woods with you, and and Ryan and I are you know rut scouting, and then you have your tree mind on it, and yes. you were teaching us all these things. Like we're like, oh, this is great, and we're like, and you know, this is a good spot because of this, and you're like, well, yeah, this is the first white, white oak, oak that we, we came, see. I'm yes. like, oh, all right, <laughs> yeah. yep. I didn't even notice it. It was like 15 yards, right? And then the stuff that you guys were pointing out, I'm like. Never would have thought of it. Yeah. You know, okay, that makes sense as to why I saw that. So, like, I think, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but just, like, in the BS and that me, Bill, Johnny, Greg, that you know, your dad that we all had, we all learned as much or more than what everyone that attended the class, you know, or attended the camp. I, I picked up more, like, we're all feeding off each other. Whereas like that was a blast. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And I've been getting, I've been getting a lot of questions on next one and stuff. It it won't be this year, but next year we'll have uh, another one. If it fills up as quick as it did this year, then probably have two of them. Um, Yeah. And Kenny already said he's going to be there again. I'll be there in a heartbeat. All right. I wouldn't miss it. Sign me up. All right. No, I I think that was, that was a a really cool thing. And like, I'll say too, and, all the all the guys that were there, you know, as participants in the class, there isn't like one person that I wouldn't go hunting with or invite to my camp. There's just a lot. Of, everyone was a good person. Yeah. Did not meet a person who's like ah, you know, Shay, like no. Every everyone was just good people. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I learned so much from the students that were in there, and like it was it was just a really a really good event. 
So to, to go back to like what we were talking about and we're looking at, you know, the types of cuts we're looking at today, but let's start, you know, from at the beginning on, from a, a deer perspective, you know, the cuts that they cut, you know, in the last 48 hours to mm-hmm. say even six months, what, what kind of value do you see from a deer hunting perspective in that? I mean, so we'll start with like the most recent and here we sit on June 30th the tops and everything you know the the recent harvest stuff not doing much you know the the turnaround and with the whole tree chipping it's not going to give that value you know getting rid of that stuff turn it into a product is the main reasoning of you know that harvest but now if it was november december january february those are the spots to be right after he's gone through and those tops are hitting the you know trees are hitting the ground those tops are there you want to be hunting those areas, yeah. you know, some of the best, like, Hey, it's literally, if you're hunting a stand that like, geez, they have a timber sale marked and they're starting to harvest it. Things could change, may not be the best. Like it's going to change their patterns. Like if you're trying to early season archery hunt it, but if you're, you know, get off of work at two o'clock and you can get to the woods for gun season in the afternoon, a recent harvest when those guys are going home from cutting timber all day, one of the best places to be Yeah, for sure. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. That was one of the things I talked about in, in the video, and I'll try to line it up so that this video goes live about the time this podcast does on my YouTube channel. But I talked about was one time, it was rifle season, I still had a tag in my pocket, and I was driving down this road, and I saw this logging cut that loggers were in it actively, and just so happened to catch one of the loggers out of their truck. They were done, just about done for the day. I was like, hey, you seeing any deer? And he was like, yeah, he's like, I, he's like, we're not even done cutting and right. they're coming out and feeding it. And he goes, there's some nice bucks. And I ended up finding a buck right from the road right. in the middle of the afternoon that was out there feeding on some of those yep. fresh tops that was coming down. Yep. And, and that's a really good time to focus on those newer cuts yeah, is that abs- late season. Yeah, late season, snow on the ground. That's the best time to be in those recent cuts. And then, you know, we've seen cuts that were 
one year old not the best no. and now especially the and i have to say one year old cuts of the video that you'll see from you know from today yeah because with this whole tree chipping now if it was a you know a traditional harvest you know i would be in there immediately one you know one year after as well like if it was what i'll call a clear cut where there's the deer browse you know it's brushy it's thick i would be in there immediately hunting it yeah you know and, and as we talked about, like, you know, we talk about, okay, hunting it, you know, what does that mean? And like, for me with those newer cuts, because it is still pretty open, you know, within mm-hmm. it, I'm not hunting in the center of it. I'm sticking more to right. the edges. I'm looking for those inside corners, which basically what that means is like where, uh, like the big timber that meets up against it kind of has like a point either, you know, jetting out into it or, or the cut jetting into the big timber. One of those spots that kind of like is a little bit of like a a natural funnel for the deer to enter it. And in those types of places, something that, you know, where they're betting on a hillside that was, you know, cut 30 years ago, it's their thick, nasty bedding area. Well, yeah, I'm I'm not going to be sitting right where we are in a tree stand. I'm, I'm finding those, you know, finding those edges and that's where, that's where it's going to be. Yeah, definitely. And then as it started getting older, we started finding, you know, we found literally walked a hundred yards and then we were in a three-year-old cut. Yep. And now that's getting a little bit better with the blackberry briars yep, growing black, up. Yep. Blackberry briars, the regeneration, what we'll call that early successional forest because it's, you know, waist high and under. So it's at that perfect deer browse. You know, that's where they're, that's where they're going to feed, especially up here is like, I don't know how many miles away the nearest true agriculture area is. Yeah. So like, that's what they're feeding on is those brows, like those, you know, so three year to five, you know, three year to eight year old cuts. That's the places that I like to hone in myself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what gets me all fired up. And like the three year old cuts and it depends on your area and I'm assuming the soil types and stuff, how fast they grow and like species composition. You can break it down to topography, slope, aspect, you know, what's growing where, whether, you know, you're in like a cherry maple stand, you know, we'll call Allegheny hardwoods. Are you in a oak stand? You know, do you have a mix of tulip poplar, white ash? You know, what, what's there to browse on? is yeah one of the biggest things and what are some of the trees that are you know favorable for the deer to browse on as they're growing up so white ash is one of the favorite which you know ash we're kind of in a mix up on is like hey is this regeneration that we want to have growing because of the emerald ash borer you know we're hoping that uh you know the boar will eat itself out of house and home and this next you know forest of ash that's coming in will maybe be safe from it but ash is a big one tulip poplar uh i'll say hard maple with sugar maple same thing uh, red maple soft maple that's a big one red oak white oak uh cucumber basswood you know all these different species are really desirable by deer it, but black birch is not yellow birch is not on the top of their list black cherry is not on the top of their list at, at all and then another, I guess I should add in another one that's desirable, and it's not a desirable timber species, is fire cherry or pin cherry. The deer will mow that over, but they won't touch a black cherry. It's, 
That's crazy. And you, and you were talking about in the videos, like where some people will see like these older cuts that have just like filled up a black cherry and, and they're like, Oh, you know, the loggers, they just, you know, they just wanted to leave yeah. those and that's the only reason. And it's like, no, it's because the deer didn't browse those. Exactly. They didn't kill those trees. Yes. That's why all those the, grew up. All the biodiversity, you know, in that stand was taken out because the deer herd was too high through the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And then in, I will say, you know, in 2002, when the infamous it's brown, it's down season started, when buck and doe season were uh, concurrent for the first year, which... That's when I was turned 12 years old. So it was great for a 12 year old kid, you know, but, and, but since 2002, there was a lot of, uh, controversy of, you know, wow, these timber companies just want to kill all the deer and these foresters are trying to ruin everything. But here we are 20 years later, you think you would have killed the buck that you killed last year, your dad over the, you know, especially your dad over the last, he probably would have you no way. <laughs> you know kill that caliber of a buck yeah you know so it it's really paid off but it's taken you know taken a decade now over the last decade everyone's really appreciated the what has happened with the deer herd we have a healthier deer herd we're shooting big bucks so it's really paid off that's that's why your company's called generations forestry you know managing the forest for generations to come yeah, it's not an overnight success no, type exactly. of thing whatsoever. And, and just like managing a forest, it's not, hey, okay, here's the species composition and the overstory. Go in and uh, do what we call a shelter wood, get rid of the junk, get some sunlight on the ground, and boom, you're going to regenerate. No, not at all. I mean, we, you have to reach in the tool belt. To, you may have to be doing herbicide application. And, you know, that's one of the big ones. You're going to have to do different types of site prep. You're going to get invasive species which are coming more and more and more from uh you know japanese stilt grass japanese knotweed barberry buckthorn buckthorn is buckthorn is bad and that is i know you know i have some friends in the industry that have properties with buckthorn on them and i feel so bad because you could herbicide it and it'd be wiped out but it's such a prolific cedar. The birds eat them and they come in, drop the seed. You know, they eat the berry, drop the seed, and it takes off like wildfire again. It is in, uh, you know, this Forest Health Collaborative, which is the entire forest products industry from the Forest Service to the state to the Game Commission to the private enterprise, like, you know, our company at Generations Forestry to these investment companies to sawmill companies that are working it developing a plan because it's just spreading and spreading and spreading. So it's like, okay, here's a map. Let's start and work our way in and keep it contained. But it's a huge, huge endeavor. You know, the landscape's big up here. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's for sure. And, and one thing that you talked about there, I want you to hit on a little bit more is herbicide. Mm-hmm. So, herbicide spraying so if you go into an area that say had been cut what probably three four years yep. beforehand and then you start seeing this undergrowth come up and all of a sudden it's dead and it's there's dead you're there. like oh my god what what happened well what you know so the two cookie cutter approaches have been is like okay we're gonna harvest this stand so let's go in and herbicide it wipe out all the you know the understory which is 99 percent undesirable uh species in the understory wipe it out get the good seed crop on the ground 
do the harvest, get sunlight on the ground, and we're going to get regeneration. Well, now we're switching things up where we're doing that timber harvest first because the, you know, let the seed bank flourish again of those undesirables, then come in, you know, one, two, three, four years later, herbicide it because those undesirables are much better taken off and they get that jump on the desirable species. So in those shelterwood harvests, we're removing all the undesirables. So we're getting rid of the seed bank of the black birch, getting rid of the, you know, unhealthy beech, um, you know, other things that are coming in, honeysuckle, fern, grasses, you know, we're not trying to create a football field in our forest. We want to regenerate the next forest. Those grasses are not good to have in your forest. Uh, so that herbicide takes place and, oh, it's a big to-do now, you know, glyphosate's ruining the world. It's killing everyone. But, you know, what you, we use, uh, two quarts to the acre. Like that's nothing. You look at agriculture. I, I can't say what they use, but they use a lot more than us. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a necessary, I guess, you know, to keep it with the political correctness, it's a necessary evil. But if we had to manage the forest without herbicide, regenerating a forest would be impossible. We wouldn't have the renewable resource. We wouldn't have a sustainable forest without herbiciding. Yeah. No. And, and, and yeah, so that's just, if it's more of a, if you're in the woods and you notice that in one of the shelter wood cuts and you notice that. Yes. You notice that. Don't think the world's coming to an end. Open up your Spartan Forge, drop a pin and say, all right, I'm going to come back here next year. And then, okay, well they just cut it. And then keep that in your bank because that's your future hunting spots. Yep. You know, you see those herbicide blocks like, yeah, you aren't going to hunt it this year. Or next year, but after they harvest it, primo. Yeah, definitely. And the one other thing I want to say about like that three to eight year old cut range, or more, you know, is the big trees that they leave in it, and like some of the shelter woods before they end up coming through mm-hmm. and and harvesting that big timber. Is if you have black cherry, if you have oaks in there, like those are good mass trees, yes. and you could like you know we we're talking about black cherries not being desirable from the standpoint of browse, but once that start, starts dropping black cherries, deer yep. love those. Deer they love scoop them, them up. Yep. They're normally, I don't find them on the ground after the no. first week archery. I mean, sometimes deer, they're gone before that. Yeah. Because the turkey, the grouse, the bear, they'll get to them first. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's something else to kind of pay attention on that. And like, you know, where we're sitting at currently is in the middle of an eight year old cut. And those yep. ones are like just phenomenal for for bedding oh, and cover. Great. It's like the stuff is so thick you can't yeah. walk through. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a joy to get to go walk out into those. Yeah, yeah. Come up bleeding, covered, and you know, brush briars. You can be working. You and me could be ten yards apart, couldn't see each other. Yeah, you know. So those deer feel safe there. Yep. You know, and in those cuts, it's still. You know, some pockets, are, it's way past the browse line. It could be 15 feet high, but you step over 50 feet and then, hey, you, they're still, it's in the browse line. So that's, it's a phenomenal place to hunt. Yeah. You're just getting to that, you know, at that eight year old range, again, depending on where you're at, mm-hmm. but you're getting to that point where it's still good at browse. It's got the yes. bedding. It's got everything a deer yep. needs in one location yes. and it will hold deer. Yep. There'll be healthy deer. There'll be bigger deer. And, and I think, uh, another point on that, that we talked about in the videos was, okay, so 
finding these areas that have all that diversity and ages mm-hmm. of cuts. You know, we were in a spot that had fresh logging going on. Yep. So it's, you know, within the last minutes, Minute. you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. that was going on. And then you moved over a little bit and you had something that was, you know, one year old. Then you had something that was three years old. Then you have something that's eight years old. Now, like those are the areas when I'm looking at Spartan Forge and I'm going down through my mapping and I'm trying to figure out areas mm-hmm. that have all of these different yep. cuts and this different vegetation diversity I talk about yeah. a lot. Those are the areas that are going to have the healthiest deer. They have cover to hide from during gun season yep. and they're going to grow usually bigger antlers. Yeah. And and I'll say too, like back with the Spartan Forge and then the uh, our scouting camp, Bill was showing me some of their aerial imagery and I'm like, I work for billion dollar timber companies that do not have this good a, you know, aerial imagery. So I'm like, I'm going to, you know, have his app. I'm like, okay, when that update comes, I can do more than I can sitting behind my computer with the, you know, millions of dollars of access of, you know, timber companies and they, yeah, they don't have that. So hell you'll be grading trees from the. I from am the computer the, screen. Exactly. I'm coming <laughs> darn close with what you can do. He goes, yeah, I can, you know, you can measure your tree stand height. And I said, shit, I can measure log heights. Yeah. You know, I, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. I can use this for work more than hunting. Like, yeah. my God. Oh, uh, no, it's funny. Um, but so when you get to cuts of this age, like the way I'm looking at it is, okay, Still, like, I'll walk the edges of them, depending on how big they are when I'm scouting and trying to find big sign on the edges that make me think, like, a big deer is living in here. And then that's when I'll start, you know, dropping mm-hmm. cameras on some big scrapes and, and then getting on the interior. But I'm not walk, I'm not busting brush through this stuff because you can't right. even walk through it. Right. So following those logging trails in, find log landings on the inside yep. of them where they could be bedded around where they got that visual, but they still got the thick stuff behind yep. them. They can tuck back in at any time. Like those are my absolute favorite. Oh, cuts for sure. For sure. I mean, I'm a big, uh, skid trail pro- well, proponent. Like, yeah, that's where I like the hunt and deer like us. They're going to travel those skid trail corridors just like you and I, cause we're not wading out through the middle of that stuff. No. And, when you find a spot that does this, if you're watching the video, the X, where the skid trails meet Cross, there. yes. Man, sit there during the rut for three, four days, you're going to get it's something. It's going to be on. Yeah. It's going to be on. Yeah. For sure. Does are bedding in there. You know, the bucks are using it. Like, mm-hmm. they got they got bedding cover. They got food. They got all that, which can be frustrating because it's difficult. You don't see many deer in right. those types of areas. But if you're patient, they can they can really really pan out. Yeah, it it will definitely pay off. Yeah, definitely. And is there anything like okay as as cuts we didn't really look at that today when we were out here doing videos, but as cuts get older and you start getting you know above that ten year old range, how what what are you seeing from species browse all those different things? So you know looking at it through the forester's eye at first when you're looking at those. 10, 15, 20 year old cuts. So, you know, I guess I'll say from uh, once they get the size of your thumb and 15 to 20 feet high to the size of your wrist, uh, that's when things will start changing. It's, it's going to shift maybe where you can see through it 50, 60 yards. Okay, it may not be the bedding area, but hey, that's going to be their travel corridor. You know, that's that's what I've seen just in in my hunting aspect, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I hunted this stand 10 years ago when it was a clear cut. Well, now it's like, 
I'm I'm coming back to it because now we you know cut some timber over here. This is where they're feeding, but where are they bedding? Well, they're bedding over here on the backside of this ridge. So now that or, you know the the pole stand, you know the small pole stand is now their travel corridor. Yeah, you know, and you start seeing, uh, and that's where the the success, you know, our desirable trees really start to shine. Where you start seeing the you know, the fire cherry is falling out of the stand. Uh, you know, it's a very early lived tree, 20 years old, starts falling out. And then it's creating those holes of the somewhat suppressed, maybe maple or cherry that was fighting with it, hanging on. And that's where I'm like, okay, this is, this is where I can tell if this stand is going to be a success and, you know, what the true species composition will be for the future. Then it kind of sits in like a odd stage and then it'll get to a small pole stand and you know the canopy it's still tight but if you see these you know cherry monocultures that we talked about that were created from the 80s you know they're in that 30 40 year old age range well now because their tops aren't super super thick start hunting those again because now you're getting some early successional habitat some you know maybe some maple some more cherry in the understory and you're going to get some rubus and blackberry briars and you're going to have another set of brows 40 years later. And in those, in particular, the cherry stands, because their tops are a little bit thinner than like a, you know, if you get into an oak stand with those big leaves, yeah. it's like, it, it's it's open until they start, you know, getting into the mature state. Yeah. And I have found with some of those older cuts too, that some big bucks like to bed in those because they can, they st- it's still thick enough they have that yeah. cover, but they also have the visual underneath. They can lay there and see, yes. you know, they can see 80 yards out in front of them sometimes underneath, but it still creates that and, that cover. Right, and, that and that's the exact stand that I took my buck out of this year. Really? It was in one of those 40-year-old cherry stands. It felt safe. I'm not saying I outsmarted it. I had some good luck. You know, when I'm like, oh, it more surprised me than I knew what I was doing. No. Oh, just tell everybody you right. know exactly well, what Well, I knew exactly what I was doing. Is in that 40-year-old stand. He was going to be bedding, watching me walk across the bottom of the hill, and here I come up behind him. But, you know, that's the stand. You sneak attacked him. Sneak attack him. Wow. Yes. That's yes. impressive. I, I can't do that very often. <laughs> yeah, that was that was an awesome buck, too. And, uh, yeah, so Kenny is as if you listen to the podcast before I did with him, he's not just a forester. He's a hunter too. So he's got both minds, both mindsets. So I am out there trying to, uh, and that's one of my things is I always say that foresters, we get into this job to be introverts. If anyone has met me, I'm probably far from an introvert. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who could talk more at the booth, me or Michael. It was a toss <laughs> It was a up. competition. Yeah. Mason pointed that out to me and Michael, you know, we give each other a run. So no one gets to talk much when we're around. No. But that's all right. No, it helped me. I was able to do podcasts. Right. And we were just, yeah, we were just selling and everything was a five finger discount and, Uh, you know, it worked out great. Yeah. Their their (laughs) whole motto was high in sales, low in revenue. Exactly. And we succeeded. (laughs) Yeah. I should have paid attention to that. You know, so back to me being a hunter and a forester is like bridging that gap because a lot of foresters are are introverted type people and it it's hard to explain our profession because it's not an exact science but you know opportunities like this because hunters care but you always you know traditionally have got the criticisms those doggone loggers just ruined my hunting spot well no we made it better you you can't have 
good wildlife habitat without good forest management. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going down the same path. And, uh, and now folks with the, you know, the rough grouse society, the Audubon society, uh, they're doing a lot of promotion. Uh, Dr. Jeff Larkin from IUP, who's a bird biologist, one of the best bird biologists out there and is, you know, really jumped on the forestry wagon because he knows how important forest management is to get, you know, good wildlife management, good bird habitat. So it's like, Hey, we, you know, us foresters got to get out there and promote what we're doing. And, you know, it's benefit. It's not just benefiting the, the deer hunters that are probably, you know, listening to us right now, but the, you know, the people that go out birding, it's like, Hey, you're going to see a heck of a lot more where you're having those different age structures and different habitat and, you know, early successional habitat, mature forests. You, you know, we want a good age structure and you're going to see the most wildlife, plain yeah. and simple, plain yeah. and simple. That's, that that's 100%. And that, and you, that's a good point. You bring that up because like, I feel like outside, I, I feel like hunters know logging is good mm-hmm. at this point. At least I think they should. Yeah. They should and if, out. if not, but like, I feel like it's the outside of it. They don't understand it. Cause it looks shitty. You look oh, across, it, looks, it doesn't look good, it looks tough. but it's so good for that, yes. for the wildlife. Yes. And like, I, and you know, if everyone watches the videos that we made today, when it looks like a park and it's beautiful and you can see two, 300 yards, me, I'm just like, Oh my God, this looks like shit. But when you get to the stuff where you can't see five feet behind me and I'm pointing out different species of trees that are regenerating, I'm like, this is a success. Yep. You know, but it's that, it's that. Yeah. You were getting pumped up. Like, I was getting excited. I'm like, yeah. I, I found some oak in a cherry stand. Yes. Like, yeah. this is awesome. No, that's, that's so cool. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Well, let's let's jump into some questions that we got All on right. Instagram. This was, like I said, the questions were asked 
a month ago, even as of recording. Right. I had to prepare that much for him because I didn't know the Actually, answers. I never told you any of the questions, so <laughs> it'll be... Uh, <laughs> I don't have an excuse now. All right, so... One of the things, uh, so this one, this one's funny. Uh, it's just kind of a joke to start it. But Eli, who is you met him? I, yes. I, I met in Montana. Yeah. Eli says he's only got one question. Does Kenny know how trees get online? They just log in. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's the best. That, I'm t- I'm stealing that one. That was good. I am taking that. <laughs> All right. Uh, best way to boost my woods for the for the deer right after timber harvest plant trees uh here i'll say in northern hardwoods in the big woods of pennsylvania planting trees is it has a time and a place but if you're on a say you own a hundred acre piece and it is a hundred acres of forest land planting trees is a and it's a either a labor of love but it's pretty tough what what you really need to do is Start at the bottom and look up. What are you seeing? Are are you seeing uh, interference from grass, from fern? Uh, do you have any invasives? What's it look like in the mid canopy? You know, if you just did a timber harvest, did you get out the? You know, predominantly I'll p- keep picking on beech and birch, even though we've just been talking about we're seeing an increase in quality of beech. Um, you know, striped maple, other species. Do you have interference in that mid canopy where? at times you need you need to get rid of that you know to get more sunlight on the ground to get that regeneration you know so so the biggest and then look at the overstory how was it cut was it you know marked by a professional forester was it high graded you know what's what's your uh species mix you know or is the species that's in the overstory are they shade tolerant or are they shade intolerant you know if you're in a Maybe up into New York where you have some more hard maple where it's a shade tolerant species, very slow growing, you know, you can get away with more of that interference in a closed canopy. But if you're in a, you know, a traditional Allegheny hardwoods, a cherry stand, you need more sunlight hitting the ground. You're dealing with shade intolerant species. They need that sunlight getting to them so they can grow. So that's the best is start at the bottom look up what's the interference what's your species composition and kind of start going from there okay all right so actually i'm going to go through a couple more kind of joke ones first, right, like, and i prefer that we'll, we'll split those up so clint caspers i can't even read because it's so bad so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna uh sorry clint we're gonna defer your question here um one that comes from Eliza. If a tree falls in the woods and there's no one to hear it, does it make a noise? It does. Does it? It does. Okay. I was there one time when it fell and it made a noise. But if there's no, no one, one there, there to hear it, does it make the noise? You were there. I was there, so I guess that doesn't count. I I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. I think it makes a noise. It definitely does, Eliza. It definitely does. All right. Um what type of tree is most ideal for hanging a set, like hanging a stand, and does this harm the tree itself? It depends. Most cases, if you're doing it the right way, whether you got your, you know, big game, you know, hang on, or your two-man ladder, or your summit climber, or your tethered saddle, no, it's not doing anything. That, that bark is a protective layer. You know, yeah, you'll see... 
you know, you got your climber and you're chewing into it and you're ripping it up. No, it's, it's, it's not going to harm it to any extent, but if you're taking your screw in steps and you're putting steps in every, you know, two, three feet. Yeah. That's, that's causing some harm to trees, you know, and yeah, you can find the right tree and I'm a culprit. I hang my sets in most situations where it's a unharvestable tree. Cause you don't want to be in a gun barrel, 24 inch black cherry. Most stands yeah. can't get around them. Then no. you have no cover. You're just sitting there, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb. Uh, but yeah, putting, you know, bow hangers and screwing in steps and nails and things of that sort. Yes. It absolutely harms the tree. Like if, uh, you screw in your bow hanger, whatever the inch or so it goes in, you hang it up, you take it out when you leave. Is it going to kill the tree? No, it creates an infection court, which eventually it could turn into something. Um, you know, if it's a veneer quality, black cherry, white Oak, red Oak, it could create a defect in the tree. You know, it could go from a log that's worth thousands of dollars to a log that's worth a hundred bucks. But most situations, no, if you take them out. Now, if you leave them in there and it gets through the metal detector at the sawmill, now you're talking thousands of dollars because it just blew up a head saw. Yeah. You know, so that's one of my biggest things. If you use, you know, don't use screwing steps. Yeah. The bow hangers, we all do it. I do it. You know, not the biggest thing. Take them out with you. You know, take your stand down at the end of the year. Do those things. But, you know, is a cherry better than a maple versus an oak versus a hemlock? Well, it depends where you're at. Yeah. What kind of cover do you have? What kind of species composition you got? So, uh, you know, to say what tree's better, whatever one's going to kill you that deer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the one thing I'll add about, like, the bow hanger thing for anyone that's hunting public land, not allowed to put the bow hangers in, they do make straps mm-hmm. that you can go around. And Always be keep able. one of those in my pack. Yeah. Always. For for those situations. Um, so, in, and even if you're on your own property or one that doesn't have rules around that, mm-hmm. that, that, that can be a beneficial yep. tool um, to be able to use. I mean, yeah. I, that's, I, well, hunting out of a saddle, it's easy to. To, to use them it's a little right. bit it is no- difficult if you're in your traditional hang on or ladder yeah. or whatever and you because you, here, you gotta stand up you gotta turn around and everything's close to the tree in your saddle yeah you're looking at it and your binos are here your packs here your bows there yeah yes oh definitely all right another question kind of burning through these uh hinge cutting got a, probably about four or five questions oh. hinge cutting are they beneficial is it time uh, and a place okay there's a time and a place me personally if i'm up here and say you own a hundred acres in amongst the, you know, state, you own a piece that's adjacent to state forest. There's not a field or ag site within miles. It's stupid in my eyes, but that is my forester eyes because the species that I would like to hinge cut, you know, I'm going to focus on beech, birch, striped maple. Me, I want those out of there. I don't want them producing seed and let's face it if you're up in the mountains of pennsylvania you go a mile or two you're gonna see a timber harvest that was done that's creating that cover that's creating that natural cover now say you're in uh south central pa you're in the you know lancaster valley somewhere that's more agriculture even you know the state college neck of the woods down in that corridor 
or you're in Ohio, the Midwest, where it's like, hey, you're within like a 50-acre woodlot amongst the 500 acres of field. That's changing. That changes my mindset because, yeah, you need to create that bedding, but you need to pick and choose what species. You know, you could be you could be in an oak stand and, you know, have oak, hickory, tulip poplar. Uh, and I've seen, I, you know, I have a friend that's a client and he, you know, maybe he'll listen to this and he might pick up. Jeremiah? On. Yeah. Yeah. He has a question on here too. Oh, okay. oh. He was just asking if I could find him a good forester. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he goes, yeah, I'm going to do some hinge cutting on my piece and, uh, you know, we had a property. I went and looked at it. We cut the ash out of it as the emerald ash borer was coming through and, you know, get it out before it was over. And he goes, yeah, I'm seeing a ton of deer, but yeah, it's not like in my food plot. It's where we cut timber. I said, yeah, because we're creating habitat. We got, now you have a bedding area in amongst, you know, your mix of forest and ag land. You're getting some browse. You, you know, you're really mixing things up a bit. And then he had a beautiful pole stand which it was a failed ag field probably like a 40 year old stand and he was doing the hinge cutting and luckily he only went at it for like an hour or two he's like i gotta talk to kenny and i go what the hell are you doing you cut tulip poplar and oak and maple and you're hinge cutting i'm like those are your trees for the future yeah and you know so we went through it and i'm like hey just cut these birch out because you're going to be giving you know get these birch the striped maple even some crappy red maple like cut just cut them put them on the ground and give those tulip poplar those oak uh cherry give them room to grow you know so that's my mix with hinge cutting is you know maybe in those pole type stands it wouldn't be bad if you don't have a bedding area nearby to hold deer that's when it would be worth it but it's like if we were up here in our neck of the woods no you're not doing you're not doing much you're better off picking the the undesirable timber species and cutting them, putting them to the ground. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Well, uh, another funny question, or actually it's a statement. Do you know Sean Fuchs? Or is, I don't know if you ever met him. I think you did. I did meet him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you did, but he's a buddy of mine. For, he says, I don't know if this is directed towards you or me. Right. We know what kind of hardwood you're into. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, great yeah. intelligent that, that uh, statement I like there, that. Sean. Uh, <laughs> all right, a um, couple more I want to I want to hit on here. Uh, there's a bunch of questions, but just for this, I think will be really helpful. When do you expect the hemlock blight to affect PA? Well, it's already in southern PA. Okay. Yeah. So the hemlock woolly adelgid, and it is. Killing the hemlock trees, which is a, you know, major concern of, you know, biodiversity for wildlife. One of the biggest in my eyes as a big fisherman, stream health, putting the shade on those, you know, mountain streams, but it's, it's here, it's coming, but what is going to keep it at bay is cold ass winters. So I remember as 20 the winters of 24 13 14 and 15 were god awful if anyone can think back and it was my last year at penn state and then my first winter working and i said why did i get into forestry i should have been an accountant because it was so <laughs> freaking cold but that gave us a couple more years of keeping the adelgid at bay because those cold the you know those super cold winters will suppress it you know 
kill it and slow it down. But this winter was okay for cold. Like we need weeks on end of that sub zero stuff. We got a few days of it, but it's, it's going to be here before we know it. You know, we'll, we'll probably start seeing it on the plateau within, I'll be optimistic and say a decade rather than five years. Okay. Oh, that's, it sucks. Scary, yeah. yeah, it is. It is. Thanks for bringing us down. Yeah, I got a lot more of that. No. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, this is another one. Might as well stay on that topic. Gypsy moth. Gypsy moths. So. We talked about this in the last year on it. Yep. What's the update with the gypsy moths? Bad. Bad. I mean, there's going to be some acres in Pennsylvania that are going to go into salvage mode. Where if they they got, if anyone has time, drive Interstate 80 from Clearfield to Williamsport exits. And you're going to be like, wow, is it 4th of July or is it November 5th? Because there is not a leaf left on a tree. Um, so it, it is it's really bad in spots. I mean, a lot of folks were very, very proactive. You know, our small company, we sprayed over 40,000 acres of privately owned land. You know, so landowners are really taking the initiative to you know, keep their forests healthy. So we sprayed over 40,000 acres. The game commission sprayed over 60,000 acres. The DCNR sprayed, don't quote me on it, but I believe they're over, they're close to a quarter million acres that they sprayed. You know, so, and you can evidently see the stands and there's one, you know, around Belfont, around the Belfont exit where it's like the whole hillside is wiped out and dead. And then all of a sudden it's like, now it looks like it's supposed to. And that's, one of the game lands that they sprayed and it's unbelievable like but yeah i mean be prepared in some of your traditional oak stands that you may not be hunting an acorn crop and if they were hit bad two years in a row be prepared that it could turn into a clear cut but hopefully you know everyone will use the all the tools in the tool belt to get it to regenerate and then it's going to you know turn into the next forest and be in good shape okay yeah, that's what I was wondering. I've, I've I've actually got quite a few questions on that, just asking, mm-hmm. you know, in my area, am I seeing that, and and, and just questions around it, so I'm glad you yeah. hit on that. Uh, another thing that I was asked, I think this is a really good question, and we talked about this at the scouting camp, was identifying different ages of timber cuts via aerial imagery. Yes. Which can be difficult. It can be difficult. But how how do you look at aerial imagery and get an idea of cuts and and how and ages of them? Yeah, you, know, you can look at, you know, you can look at, you know, look at the aerial imagery. Get on Spartan Forge, Google Earth, you know, whatever Ovens using, and it's just looking lush, lush and symmetrical. And then all of a sudden you see a a break in it, and it just looks, you know, an aerial. You can be like, wow, that just looks shorter. And what it is, it's a different shade of green. I'd be like, okay, well, that's a clear cut. And then, you know, that that will get you started. Like, okay, everything's symmetrical and lush in the same color. And then all of a sudden the color changes and, it, you know, the, the picture looks a little off. And be like, okay, that's a clear cut. So then you need to start looking at the spacing of it. And at the camp we talked about as a property I managed where we had a clear cut, we had a, you know, mature stand, and then we had a, you know, a shelterwood harvest where you could see those intermixing colors. And that's like putting in layman's terms, that's probably the best way to go about it. And, and then the best thing in my eyes is boots on the ground. 
you know, it's like, okay, find those spots. Hey, it looks like there was a harvest here. This changed up on, you know, this update aerial imagery and go there and look and start very, and, you know, take those first couple stands and just pick them out on aerial imagery and then be like, okay, I need to know what a clear cut looks like. And then you can be like, oh, all right, here's the clear cut. This is what it looks like on, you know, your Spartan Forge, your Google Earth, and then go to the mature forest. And then it'll kind of train your eye of looking for those different shades on the maps. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. By confirming it in the yes. field, and then you know what to look for when you're looking back. Mm-hmm. And I've found mm-hmm. that summer imagery is actually better for yes. clear cuts. Like, I like leaf-off imagery for most of my scouting, but when if you're trying to, like, really learn ages of cuts and stuff, yeah. I feel you like you need to have that leaf that, color. Yeah, the leaf color yes. to be able to determine it. I feel yep. like the stuff that's, like, really light, bright green a lot of times seems to be newer yeah. stuff, you yeah. know, three-year-old. It, and some of it you can tell a lot that it was, like, full-on clear-cutted. Right. Like, you can... It just looks brown. Yeah. Like, yeah, that image was probably taken, like, months after the harvest. Yeah. It was just dumb luck timing. Yeah. Of when, you know, when the And the, and the imagery date does make a big difference you got to pay attention to that depending on where it was taken your area like so it's not available for everything yet but one of the the layers within spartan forge Mm -hmm. where the the uav layer where you're able to scroll different dates yeah you know as they update more that'll be available for more of the country but mostly in and more populated areas and around there they have that and you can go back and see yeah. how those cuts have progressed. And I tell you, I've I've used it for work. I've had people call and say, "Hey, you know, hey, I'd like to look at getting a timber harvest done," and blah blah blah. You know, well, I cut timber, and I can base off where they're located, what county they're in, what you know, general species composition. Well, I was had my timber cut about fifteen or twenty years ago. You know, they just did a select, and I'm like, "All right, let's go uh, scroll through some imagery." and see what it looked oh, I was cut five years ago and be like okay yeah that that was that now it looks like this yeah you you got high graded or you know yeah you, yeah the right thing was done here and you can base a lot of like forestry history of like new clients and stuff off of these aerial imagery in time of year it, it's pretty wild yeah I think that's a huge benefit being mm-hmm. able to look at the different years and be able yeah. to scroll through that yeah I, I totally agree no, that was that was for most of the the questions that that we had there were based around those types of things. And there's actually one more that I want to bring up. It's a general question, mm-hmm. but I think it's a good one. Is what is the most preferred food source for deer in the big woods? White oak's one of the best, you know. And we'll we'll kick with stick with like the acorns. And you know they love acorns, but they're not here every year they're not here year round so it's like hey an acorn crop comes you know every three years on average three to five years but when they're hitting the ground they're getting sucked right up scooped right yeah up. it's like a vacuum you know but in the big woods it's you got to focus on browse you got to focus on you know blackberry raspberry uh the hardwoods that we're trying to grow oak oak not cherry oak maple uh tulip poplar ash those you know browse is the biggest in the big woods because it's always there it's gonna be there so that's what you gotta hone in on yeah and i've said it before like i like areas 
like I, I like areas that have oaks if they have a bunch of other diversity involved. Right. But if it's like mature oak forest, I hate hunting those areas oh, because yeah. it'll change the deer. Like when there's not an acorn crop, yep. it'll change that deer pattern and movement if, like they'll actually like almost migrate just disappear 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 you could be having multiple good bucks a ton of dough one year and you're like oh man i'm gonna get back and hone in on that you know monster 10 that i had on camera and be like well where where to go well it's gone man yeah <laughs> you know so like if i hone in on an oak stand it's gonna be there's gonna be a cut somewhere near you know there's gonna be a timber harvest somewhere nearby yeah i i am i'm right with you on that yeah. one yeah, 100%. and I mean, and one of the other things is like acorn quality amongst oak species. We, yes. we talked about this. Okay, so white oak at the top. Yes, then. white oak. You know, traditionally, and we're sticking with the hard up here. You know, you could get into the south and get into the swamp white oak, and you know, other mix up of species, but white oak, northern red oak, and then it's going to fall into your mixed oak, your black oak, your pin oak, scarlet oak, and then chestnut oak. Because if you take white oak lumber and chestnut oak lumber and you saw it out, same grade. You know, you won't get yeah. the prime grade of it, but it goes into the same pile. Kind of like with uh, red oak and black oak. But it's not the same with acorns. So someone asked me this question once before is, hey, I got a, you know, chestnut oak acorns versus white oak acorns. It's like, you don't really see the deer eating the chestnut oak acorns and it's kind of like there's a lot of chestnut oak in a white oak stand traditionally they produce acorns more frequently than white oak but it's kind of you don't see them eating them because it's kind of like with us it's like all right what are you going to have for dinner if there's white oak <laughs> acorns chestnut oak acorns all right you can go anywhere you want to eat you can go get a filet mignon or a sheet's hot dog yeah <laughs> and chestnut oak is the sheets hot dog versus the white oak of the filet mignon <laughs> yeah and it's funny because uh the guy that sent me this um sent me this on instagram the question about he's like you know chestnut oaks preferred versus you know this he's like there's that a kenny question i was like well let's refer to kenny on on this and uh and it was it was funny and and <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name on here, but uh, I, I talk to him all the time on Instagram, and uh, and he was like, and he's like, oh, I said, well, Kenny said he referred to the chestnut oak as like a Sheets hot dog. It's only if you absolutely have to. He's like, well, I work at Sheets. <laughs> he goes, I'll make sure I mention that at the next marketing meeting. And I was, I was absolutely cracking up. So anybody that's not from Pennsylvania or the East Coast might not really know Sheets, right? But it's like. Your Wawa or your yeah. like whatever, whatever Casey's or yeah. something big yeah. gas station yeah. that has like food and stuff at it. Yeah, and I always crack it up. Was, yeah, was, that's that was that's freaking hilarious. Yeah, we were, we were dying talking about that one. <laughs> so no, I think that that was a good good distinguishing uh, yes. factor there with the different oaks. So. Yep. Well, is there anything else you can think of, or we we covered a lot? Yeah, we did cover. We a lot. covered a lot, but there's a lot of rabbit holes that could get jumped down oh, with yeah. the you know deer and forestry and logging. And yeah, 
there's a lot. We'll definitely do more. And we're going to do more videos too as we come along. Mm-hmm. And, and give your feedback. I mean, if, if you don't care about Kenny and his forestry stuff, tell me. I'll get rid of him. I don't care. I don't need, right. I don't need to have him I can go back around. to being an introvert. Yes, you can. You, you say that. You're an introvert on social media, but you're an extrovert in person. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, because you, you just talk anybody's ear off i sure can <laughs> <laughs> no well thank you kenny for coming on again man i, I really appreciate thanks it thanks for having me bo and anybody i'll just go through his list and he can add to it but generationsforestry.com you can check out what kenny's got going on over there in his business ken j kane on yeah. instagram reach out to him there if you have any questions anywhere else yep. you can think of no those are my two main things i mean I guess I have Facebook, but it's, you know, it's yeah. there. No, no, one, no one uses that. No I'm old, so, you know, I guess I can use Facebook. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you coming uh, thanks on. Thanks for having me, Bo. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for everyone that submitted questions. Uh, if you ever have anything else you want to hear about, uh, let me know. Shoot me an email, bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com. Send that in, and I uh, would love to hear from you. So, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.